Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Let me start with a fact here. No one likes getting stuck in traffic. Rows of cars, one after another, packed together. They all move along in slow motion. How could anyone like it? Then there's that one car that always seems to be in some kind of a rush, overtaking everyone else. They sneak through the traffic, merge in and out with no regards for all the other cars. I do not like this either. I mean, what is this? Do they think they are in a professional racetrack? Well, to my surprise, the answer to this rhetorical question of mine would be a yes. In a certain part of Phoenix, that is. I was driving behind one such car racing through downtown Phoenix Street recently, and it indeed was a part of a racetrack. Let me add, not just any odd race. Phoenix was a street circuit for Formula One, the biggest international auto racing event. Phoenix hosted its first ever Grand Prix in 1989. Amidst all the international recognition and fanfare, the Grand Prix came and left somewhat of a scar to the city. It was one eventful occasion, to say the least. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we cover Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm intern producer Nitish Basnet, and in this episode, we'll recall Phoenix's run with Formula One how the city geared up for it, how it clutched all of downtown, and why it finally hit the brakes. Full speed ahead. The streets of Phoenix had never seen such cars before. Unmistakably distinct were their pointy front end for aerodynamics. The single-seater open cockpit vehicles have their wheels exposed. And the engine? That lies behind the driver. On 4th of June 1989, Formula One race cars took over downtown Phoenix. 41 of these futuristic looking high speed driving machines lined up at the starting point on 4th Avenue and Jefferson Street. The cars and the world class drivers working them came to race each other. Nearby between 5th and 6th Avenues, then Phoenix Mayor, Terry Goddard watched on from a safe distance. I had no idea. You know, I was just the mayor. I was 
Believe me, uh, I was not uh, a sophisticated race follower by any means. It was exciting, but there was an awful lot going on that as a non-race car fanatic, I was not picking up on. He was in the pit where cars stopped to change tires. The pit, specifically built for the Grand Prix, took the biggest chunk of a $3 million investment the city had made. Above the street level was a luxury box for viewing. The structure would later double into a parking garage. One of the last physical testaments of the Phoenix Grand Prix, the building was demolished some years later. But on that day, the world had its eyes set on Phoenix. According to some reports, promoters of the event estimated that 200 million television viewers would tune in to see the race from 80 different countries. Goddard, cheering when others around him in the pit did, might not have known what was going on in the race, but he figured Phoenix got a big win. I mean, it's like any big sporting event. I mean, you support it because of the the ancillary supports, so because you know people come in and they uh, they buy suites in the hotels, they they, they buy up the restaurants uh, for those evenings. They it's like having Super Bowl come to town. You put you put a lot of money on the table to get the event, and then it, the tax revenue comes indirectly from the kind of money that's spent in the community. The cars reached speeds of 150 miles per hour. When the rubber hit the road, Phoenix became the only US city to host a Formula One Grand Prix that year. It's the only Formula One race in the USA. See the United States Grand Prix from Phoenix. Phoenix was one of 16 venues. A coveted list that included cities like Monte Carlo, Marseille, Budapest, and Milan, among others. And that's why the number of private jets that showed up at Sky Harbor was a pretty good indicator that this was going to be economically successful for, for Central Arizona, for Phoenix. And it was, but you never know for sure how much revenue has been generated into the economy from something like that. The race itself, however, didn't live up to the hype. It being a street circuit made drivers wary of not having enough visual cues to plan their turns, like when to slow down or when to speed up. From the ground, buildings downtown all just looked too similar. Drivers also complained the 2.36 mile long racetrack was dirty, dusty and bumpy. The clear favorite to win the Phoenix race was hands down the legendary Brazilian driver Ayrton Senna. The late great Ayrton Senna, who later was killed years later in a crash in, uh, I believe it was San Marino. That's Mark Armijo. He used to cover auto racing as a reporter for the Arizona Republic from 1980 till he retired in 2007. In fact, uh, I. I did a story once on the 100 greatest drivers of all time, and he was in my top three. He was that good. Senna, representing the McLaren Honda team, had won the F1 championship the previous year. 
started well and was in the leading position in the Phoenix Grand Prix. Halfway through the race, he encountered an electronic issue with his car. He could not carry on. So Senna did not finish the race. It was a huge upset. In fact, only 9 racers out of the 40 plus finished the course. Cars were struck by technical difficulties like failure in the gearbox, suspension and even the alternator. The scheduled 81 laps race was cut short to 75 after the 2 hour threshold was met. It might have been on a Friday after practice was over for the day, it was time to go home. Somebody had told me on the hush hush that hey, some of the street is starting to fall apart. We're not, they're not going to be able to race there tomorrow if it's not fixed. City roads are meant for public commuter cars. Converting it to meet the standards of a global racing event was a difficult task. I think the city had to rush and repair that uh, overnight. That part of the section of the street that was, that was coming apart. What started with a bang ended with a whimper. Fans found the supposedly exhilarating Grand Prix a dull affair and rather numbing, as Amiho recollects. And I remember our columnist at the time, David Castevens, I believe it was him that made, <laughs> he wrote something to the fact that uh, during the race, and I hope I'm not offending anyone by saying this, but he, was, he said one of the bodies at the funeral home raised up out of the casket to see what the noise was about. And saw that it was just a, there was no one there, it was just a race and laid back down. <laughs> because even he wasn't interested in the race. Event organizers were anticipating up to 50,000 people to turn out for the event. The Grand Prix attracted many international viewers to Phoenix. However, the locals may not have appreciated the novelty of the sports as much. Uh, I think they, the race officials announced 35,000, which, believe me, there was not 35,000 there. I think I wrote at the time, if there was 35,000, half of them came disguised as empty seats because there, there definitely was not that kind of crowd there. If locals did make it to the race, they were probably there for one racer in particular. Thank goodness, Freddie Cheever. Cheever was the only American in the Grand Prix that year. Because I could always go to him for quotes and interviews and to get the lowdown on what's going on. He drove for the UK-based Arrows F1 team. It was a special homecoming for Cheever, who was actually born in Phoenix. Great guy, great guy. I liked him a lot. Uh, he was a steady, solid driver. Uh, I mean, if you make Formula One, you've got to have talent. And to be the lone American in that series at that time just says a lot about his talent. He not only completed the race, but also secured a position on the podium. Frenchman Alan Prost came first, followed by Italian Riccardo Patrese in second. Cheever finished third. It would be the Phoenix Natives' final podium finish. The 1989 season was his last. After that, Cheever took off his F1 helmet and moved to Indy car racing. It was eye-opening to see all the empty grandstands. I'm not sure why, but it really never took off from a fan turnout sense. And 
While the fans were disappointed with the lackluster display offered at the Phoenix Grand Prix, some downtown businesses were straight up furious. Practice runs and setting up the racetrack meant difficulties in getting in and out of downtown. Barricades and fences virtually sealed off the area for weeks. It was bad for business. The Grand Prix slowed down customer traffic in stores while the noise and commotion disturbed office work. A lot of the grumbles and complaints would reach the ears of Jim Haynes. There's no denying at all that, that there was a good deal of disruption in people's lives if their lives were in downtown Phoenix. Haynes was the president of Phoenix Chamber of Commerce at the time. He was well aware of the circumstances some of the businesses had to face. I met Haynes out in a downtown lot close to where the racetrack was laid 33 years ago. You know, what were the issues leading up to it? Well, there were concerns about safety, obviously, when you got these cars rocketing around downtown with these kind of temporary crash walls. And, you know, a lot of people working in downtown, how are they going to get from their offices to a place for lunch? Um, the, uh, the best you could say is that people that follow Formula One in Argentina or, or France may have learned about Phoenix for the first time, where before their view of the U.S. was New York and Los Angeles, you know. But, um, no, I don't think it was any great economic boom. For the locals, a different type of racing competition elsewhere in the valley turned out to be more interesting. That one did not include any cars or any humans for that matter. And I remember the headline in the Republic, on the Republic sports page the next day, that said something about the Chandler Ostrich Festival outdrew the Formula One race, 75,000 to 15,000, an ostrich festival. But the biggest issue of them all, something Phoenicians know about all too well, was how hard it got here. A June afternoon in Phoenix is not something people look forward to. The fact that they did it in June, and that, and that was because of the Formula One calendar, not the city's desire, that kind of made it a, a joke locally. On the day of the Grand Prix, the temperature crossed 100 degrees. We had heat prostration from some of the drivers. This is Mayor Goddard again. Uh, the guy that won had this aluminum cap that he had over his crash helmet uh, to try to keep the heat off of him. Some of them had fans in the driver's compartment to try to keep cool. They were sitting on ice. But how did this come about in the first place? What was the thinking behind having an international high-speed car race in the heart of Phoenix downtown in the blazing summer heat? It came originally from Councilman Dwayne Powell, who was the biggest race enthusiast on our council. He was a sports car driver. He was a fireman, a Phoenix fireman, and he came from a, a background that, that loved motor racing. And so he started the idea 
Detroit, the Motor City, had hosted the U.S. Grand Prix since 1982. Formula One wanted Detroit to build new permanent facilities for the Grand Prix. Negotiations between the two parties failed in 1988. So there was a group of uh, fairly prominent business people who pulled themselves together and decided this would be really good for the city, and they went out and promoted successfully getting the. The race away from Detroit into into Phoenix.、Uh, I was supportive simply because I thought it would be good for our international image. While the city sent a dead halt to a stop to give way for the race, some just got creative and turned the problem into an advantage. It was a unique and highly marketable event. Our biggest critic, I always thought it was ironic, was Arthur Anderson, the、uh, accounting firm. And they screamed and yelled that this was、uh, just hurting their business because they couldn't get their people in and out on race day. But I found out later that they brought all of their top clients from across the country to their offices on race day and offered them, you know, this luxury suite experience for watching. Because obviously we couldn't charge extra. If somebody was watching the race from their office building, once the race finished, the checkered flags. Cars and all the mechanics and racers were gone. Streets of Phoenix returned to some normalcy. The Grand Prix remains one of the more prominent sports events to take place in Phoenix. You know, Phoenix hadn't been around that long. It had only been a major city really since the 1950s. Really, really young, really wet behind the ears. Sometimes when you're like that, you feel you've got to prove something. You've got to show that you're. Capable of doing something that's of major league proportions, and the Grand Prix clearly was one of those challenges. The Grand Prix would return two more times to the same Phoenix downtown street circuit. The next year, Formula One moved up the race to a cooler time in spring. Ayrton Senna won both the 1990 and 1991 Phoenix Grand Prix. The city originally had a contract to host for five years, but after just three, F1 pulled out, citing lack of attendance. And after that, the U.S. did not get a chance to host any Grand Prix that century. Lesson learned: Formula One just wasn't right for Phoenix at the time. At present, it might be. But according to Goddard, the city does not need to jump the hoops any longer. You know, all those things help to build the image of a community. But frankly, I think the day that we have to ask the world to look at us is over. Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the United States. It's one that has very significant success in terms of bringing both business and and people in. Present-day Phoenix is fast in its own right. If F1. Ever decides to come back, it would find a city vastly different from the one in 1989, but also mostly similar, maybe. Nonetheless, it is growing, I should say, at the speed of a race car. For Value 101. I'm Nitish Basnet.